You are listening to Gone But Never Forgotten. Our topics can include, but are not limited to, murder, sexual assault, graphic and gruesome details, and more. These topics are adult in nature and are not meant for everyone. Listener discretion is advised. We live in a broken and increasingly broken world. Of that, there is little doubt when you take a look around yourself. You see mental and physical health struggles. You see death and assaults everywhere. Within our homes, we see divorces, domestic assaults, and even murder. I think for a lot of us true crime lovers out here, one of the most baffling things is when you hear about a parent taking the life of their own child or children. Sadly, I have covered that a lot on this podcast already. There are many people who can have dark thoughts or even act out on awful things, but from where I sit, it certainly takes an incredibly awful human being to be able to watch as the life leaves the eyes of their own flesh and blood. This week, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about a woman who admitted that her plan was double homicide and suicide when it came to her and her two children. But instead, what it became was double homicide and 78 years in prison without the chance of parole. Hello, my name is Lance, and welcome to episode 115 of Gone But Never Forgotten. Filicide, when a mother takes the lives of her children. The murders of Sharon Castro and Brooklyn Youngblood. Veronica Youngblood was born in Argentina, where she was born into a family that was impoverished, and from plenty of references that have been made, we can see that she was brought up in a home that was full of physical, mental, and sexual abuse. Her life as a child was incredibly awful, and at the age of 16, she actually would become pregnant with her first child. Because her family essentially deserted Veronica and her sister, Veronica then got into the sex trade because she knew that she needed to make ends meet in her own life for herself and for her daughter, Sharon Castro. While she was working in the sex trade, Veronica would meet a U.S. Marine who was stationed in Buenos Aires named Ronald Youngblood in 2007. Ronald was stationed there as a pilot for the U.S. Marines. The two met when Ronald became a client of Veronica. 
Through that relationship, the two began dating, and then they would eventually come back to the United States together, where they would get married in Las Vegas in 2009. The family of three had a difficult life, one that required them to move a lot because of Ronald's position in the Marines. However, Veronica was finding happiness and stability in her life because she was finally not doing everything on her own, and in Ronald, she had found a husband who helped her take care of herself, himself, and Sharon. Finally, it seemed to Veronica like everything was turning around and the pressure was not solely on her shoulders. In 2012, the couple would get pregnant, and they had a daughter together, Brooklyn Youngblood. Sharon, Veronica's oldest daughter, was described as being sweet, kind-hearted, and very loving. She was known to always put everyone around her first, and she would be available to help anyone at a moment's notice. Sharon was growing into quite a wonderful young woman. She was on the cheerleading squad at school, and she also was a competitive figure skater. Sharon seemed to excel at nearly anything that she tried her hand at, and the world was really and truly going to be her oyster. She had great grades, and she performed well in her figure skating competitions. Sharon had the goal of one day becoming a singer, and she really seems like she should have been the apple of Veronica's eye. She was succeeding, and I would assume that that was not entirely in spite of Veronica. Brooklyn, her younger daughter, was described by everyone that knew her as a smart, sweet, and affectionate young girl. Brooklyn was happy, and she absolutely adored animals of all shapes and sizes. Even though it seems that the children were growing up happily and healthily, the relationship between Veronica and Ronald was not the same. Far from it, actually. Reportedly, their relationship was difficult, regardless of who you spoke to. Who you spoke to would only determine whose side of the story that you would hear. Both Veronica and Ronald have made a long list of allegations against one another over the years through police reports, through divorce and custody disagreements, and of course at the trial for Veronica that we will sadly be getting to in a minute here. Veronica and Ronald have both said that the other party was abusive, aggressive, and frightening. In 2014, when Ronald was stationed in Honduras with the family, Veronica called police to report that she and Ronald had been in an argument and that he had physically assaulted her. Around that time as well, Ronald had discovered that Veronica was having an affair, and because of that, he had cracked down and become even more controlling within the home, even to the point that he reportedly had cut Veronica off from the ability to use any transportation to get around without him. 
In Honduras, Veronica actually went to the United States Embassy and she asked for emergency access to transportation so that she could return home, and that access was granted. After Ronald returned to the United States, the family continued to bounce around a bit. They lived together in D.C., and then in Florida, and then they settled down in Oakton, Virginia. When the family moved to Virginia, that is when the decision was made for Veronica and Ronald to file for divorce. Even though the couple was separated and they were filing for divorce, the four of them, Veronica, Ronald, and the two girls, all continued to live together, co-parenting and coexisting to some extent under the same roof. Part of the reason that everyone was still under one roof was because Veronica did not have a job, and as such, she could not support herself, obviously, at all. She needed to continue to live with Ronald to keep a roof over her own head. Unfortunately, though, as often seems to be the case, a bad relationship continued to be strained and destroyed as the pair went through their divorce proceedings. Allegations, arguments, and so much more took place and really caused the rift that was already there between Ronald and Veronica to become a chasm over time. If you've ever been through a messy divorce, or if you've ever known someone who went through or is going through a messy divorce, there is poison and vitriol aplenty. By December 2016, the courts had deemed that Veronica and Ronald could continue to live together and could continue to parent their two daughters together while effectively dissolving the marriage. There were to be no spousal support payments or no child support payments made by either side. However, before that divorce was even finalized, Ronald had filed for a protection order regarding Veronica. Ronald said that her anger was growing to be out of control and that she had even thrown his cell phone into the toilet, poured water over his laptop to destroy it, and he even said that Veronica had purposely scratched his car. If any of that was true, and based on her future actions and crimes, I think that they are, it was already becoming very clear that Veronica was an angry and a vindictive woman who always seemed to be out for revenge and out for blood. As a part of the protective order, Veronica was then ordered to leave the townhouse that the entire family was still living in, and she was ordered to stay at least 500 feet away from Ronald and from Brooklyn at all times until there was a hearing in the case. This particular hearing is still actually sealed, and therefore I do not know what happened there. But suffice to say that obviously the protective order was removed because not too long after this happened, Veronica was again living back with the entire broken family. It would seem then for about a year and a half that things calmed down at least enough that they were able to stay off the radar of the police and off the radar of the courts. 
Then, in March of 2018, Ronald and Veronica would both be in court together and seemingly on the same page. The two filed a 14-page joint consent order that said that all four members of the family were going to move to Missouri by August of 2018 because they would be closer to Ronald's family. It was also said that Veronica would get her own apartment in Missouri that would be within 30 miles of Ronald's home, and that Ronald would pay Veronica's rent for three years until she could get on her feet and the two would continue to co-parent and share custody of Brooklyn. This agreement was also agreed to by the courts in the end, and as such, the plan was legally put into motion. That was until April 13th of 2018, when Veronica changed her mind. Veronica decided that she didn't want to move to Missouri any longer, and she hired a new lawyer to fight to amend the custody agreement. Veronica said that she had found full-time gainful employment in Virginia, and that she could make a good living at the job, and therefore it was not pertinent for her to move to Missouri. She said that she was going to be able to support herself and her daughters on her own, without help from Ronald. Veronica also requested at that time full custody of Brooklyn. When the hearing came for the amendments to the agreement, it was decided by the courts that there would not be any changes made at all to the agreement, and that meant that Veronica, Ronald, Brooklyn, and Sharon were all still deemed to be moving to Missouri. Unfortunately, however, that move was not going to ever happen for Brooklyn or for Sharon. On August 5th of 2018, not too terribly long after the courts ruled that they were not making any changes to that consent order, a 911 call would come in and be taken by Jennifer Heflin, who was working dispatch that day. I made the decision that I don't want to play the 911 call as I have been doing from time to time recently, even in small part, because it is devastating enough to talk about. When the 911 call was played in the trial, jurors were given trauma counseling because the content was so difficult to listen to. When Jennifer took the call, she was confronted with the voice of a 15-year-old girl who was in hysterics and in pain. The girl on the other end of the line was Sharon Castro, Veronica's oldest daughter. Sharon was crying and screaming in pain, and she was begging for help and saying that she didn't want to die. When Jennifer asked Sharon who had shot her, Sharon said that it was her mother. Sharon said that Veronica had come into the room while she and her sister were sleeping, and she had told Sharon that she was going to take the girls to heaven to meet God. She then proceeded to shoot her and her baby sister, Brooklyn. Jennifer did an excellent job on the call of trying to keep Sharon with her and keep her abreast of the fact that help was coming quickly all while listening helplessly as this poor girl was screaming in agony from two gunshot wounds. 
By 10.15 p.m., the help had arrived at the apartment that was located at 1519 Lincoln Circle. Sharon was discovered, and she had been shot, as I said, two times, once to the back and then once to the chest. Paramedics also located young five-year-old Brooklyn, who was sadly already dead in her bed, having succumbed to a gunshot wound to the head. Sharon would be rushed to the hospital where she fought as hard as she possibly could to survive, but sadly she would die just a few days later in the hospital, also succumbing to the gunshot wounds that were inflicted upon her by her own mother. At the scene, investigators quickly found that neither Veronica nor Ronald were at the apartment. Thankfully, though, Veronica would be found that night when she showed up at a former boyfriend's house, still clinging to the handgun that she had killed her children with. The friend called 911, and police quickly arrived on the scene, disarmed, and arrested Veronica. Veronica did still have the handgun when police arrived, and they also found two magazines of ammunition in her rental car at the scene. The gun and ammunition had been purchased only nine days before the murders took place. Just hours after she had killed Brooklyn and before Sharon had succumbed to her injuries, Veronica admitted to investigators that she had shot both of her daughters and tried to kill them with the intention of later taking her own life as well. She told investigators that she had not been a good person, and she also had not had a good life. She was ready for all of it to be over. She told investigators that she deserved the death penalty. It would also come come to light later between the two murders and her apprehension that Veronica had called Ronald and left him a voicemail. The message relayed the fact that she had killed Sharon, and she had killed Brooklyn, and that she was going to kill herself. Finally, she ended the message by telling Ronald that she hated him, and hung up the phone. In her interview, Veronica came across as emotionless, and really as not particularly having any remorse for what she had done. From there, Veronica would become problematic. In much the same way that she had seemingly signed that agreement with Ronald and then changed her mind about moving to Missouri, she went from acceptance to seemingly trying to stall and hold up justice in any way possible. First, she said that she didn't want counsel at all. She didn't want to have a public defender and she didn't want to hire a lawyer. And finally, after getting a lawyer, she would plead not guilty by way of insanity. From there, multiple hearings were delayed and postponed because Veronica refused to leave her jail cell to attend court. Veronica also tried on numerous occasions to take her own life while in custody. Finally, in March of 2023, four and a half years after the murders, Veronica would finally be in court for her trial. 
The prosecution would state that Veronica was not insane, and they said that she had planned everything to do with the murders out ahead of time, and she had planned it all out to get revenge on Ronald, who said that he loved Brooklyn and Sharon more than anything else in his life. Veronica had stopped the move. She had purchased a gun just nine days before the murders, and everything else that she did showed patterns and motives and planning as well, and there was just constant arguments. On the day of the murders, it was presented that Veronica had given both of her daughters gummies that contained melatonin so that they would fall asleep faster, deeper, and so that they would not be able to fight back. It was presented that Veronica had then shot Brooklyn once in the head after the girls had fallen asleep, and then she had shot Sharon once in the back. Sharon, though, unexpectedly had awakened, and she was screaming in agony and, of course, in anger. Sharon asked her mom why she had shot her, and that was when Veronica said that she was taking her daughters to see God. She then shot Sharon again in the chest and fled the apartment. On the flip side, the defense team focused on the fact that Veronica was mentally ill, and that Ronald had been a cruel, vicious, and abusive husband to her for their entire lives together. They said that Ron had physically abused Veronica, and that she had been abused before that sexually by her grandfather, and physically by her mother and father before the family had abandoned her and her sister. The abuse that Veronica had suffered as a child was such that she could not walk after her parents beat her. That was what was presented in court. Veronica had been beaten using branches, belts, brooms, and whatever else her family got their hands on, and that abuse, they said, only continued when she got together with Ronald. It was presented in court that Veronica suffered from complex post-traumatic stress disorder. Veronica said that she heard voices throughout her life and that she had heard voices on the night that she had shot Brooklyn and Sharon. After only two weeks in court and the heartbreaking 911 call that even forced Veronica to leave the courtroom, both sides would leave their closing arguments for the jury. Veronica was again presented as a cold and callous killer by the prosecution, who said that she was in control and solely to blame for the loss of two young girls well, well before their time. The defense said again that Veronica was mentally ill and mentally unstable, and that her break was simply a long time coming and something that was built up to for her entire life. The closing argument was that Veronica had killed her daughters to save them from the upbringing and life that she had had, something that she believed that Ronald would recreate in their lives. After less than one day, though, the jury would find that they felt that Veronica was not mentally insane at the time of the murders. She was instead found guilty of two counts of first-degree murder and two counts for use of a firearm to commit murder. 
At the penalty hearing, Veronica was not finished putting on a show. The jury said that they believed that the proper place for Veronica was prison, and when she heard that, Veronica arose from her seat, and she had to be held by court officials. She screamed at Ronald in front of everyone in the courtroom, saying, quote, Why did you leave me? Why did you leave me alone with the girls? None of this would have happened. Unquote. This was clearly one last attempt by Veronica to blame someone other than herself for her crimes, and also one last attempt to hurt Ronald before she was put in prison for the rest of her life. In the end, Veronica would be served 36 years each for the murders of Brooklyn and Sharon, and she would also be served three years each for both charges of using a gun to commit murder. The jury stated that they believed that all of those sentences should be served consecutively rather than concurrently, and in the end, the judge ruled that he felt that there was no need to change that ruling. Veronica was given a sentence of 78 years in prison for her crimes. Veronica Youngblood is now serving her time at the Fluvanna Correctional Center in Troy, Virginia, and her listed release date from prison is September 4th of 2086. I want to close this case by stating something that I think is a fact to most people. Regardless of what your problems are and regardless of what you're going through, murder is absolutely never the answer. When you read the facts on a case like this, it's, it is at times hard to not feel something for the guilty party. When you read through how someone says that their life has gone, you cannot help but feel that they were certainly given a raw deal at life. But the way that Veronica here, for example, chose to deal with all of that stress and pain and all of her wounds was certainly not the right way to go about it. If you have even a passing thought like that, that, that ending someone's life is a feasible outcome in something, you need to seek out help in so many ways. Let me be clear. Nobody deserved to put up with the abuse that seemingly was a two-way street between Veronica and Ronald. We get but one shot at this life here on Earth, and we should try to get away from abuse and misery at almost any cost. Veronica believed on some level that she was saving her children from a life of hell on earth, which I am sure on many levels a lot of us can attest to. However, it also proves that she was not wired the way she should have been. As much as murder should not be on in your mind, murder of family has a fresh level of taboo that should never be crossed, and murdering one's own children is even another level of just no entirely. I hope that as you listen to this podcast episode, you don't find yourself in a situation where your life is at risk or anyone's life is at risk. If you're in some form of trouble at all, please get help and get out of that situation. There are crisis support lines, 
there are authorities and there are so many different organizations everywhere around the world that you can get in touch with and get help from. There is a happy life possible for everybody, including you. And I hope and pray that each and every one of you goners out there is living your best life and continuing to be better. Thank you again for listening to Gone But Never Forgotten, and I will see you all again next time.